0: Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning, and we pray in the name of Jesus that you would lift our eyes to the things above and not on the things of earth. Lord, we pray that you would uphold us with your right hand, that you would strengthen us in our inner man, that we would know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge. I pray, Lord, for those here who are not saved, that today would be their day of salvation. And I pray for those who are saved, that you would strengthen them in their faith and build them up. In you, Jesus Christ, we love you, may you be glorified, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Before you sit down, can you say hi to somebody, please? Okay, you may be seated if you're not already. All right, if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 9. And while you're turning there, I just have a few announcements. We have a women's ministry will be meeting. They had last week off, so they'll be meeting tomorrow night at 7 o'clock right here at the fellowship. Also, young adults will be meeting today. Uh, I think it's at 5 o'clock, but uh, Wednesday night. We are continuing to look at the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14. And so if you want to read ahead on that, and I had mentioned last week that I feel that's a very important topic for us to, to, to handle and tackle as a church body. And so I encourage you to come out or listen to that. And um, to highlight our chili cook-off with the police, And uh, just uh, thank you all for coming out. It's truly a group effort whenever we come together and do something to serve the Lord. So thank you, and uh, may God be glorified through all our efforts. So now, if you're ready, we are in the book of Luke, in chapter 9. And I'm going to read through the section of Scripture that we're going to tackle this morning. It's from verses 23 through 26. And then he said to them all, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and is himself destroyed or lost? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels." Those words in my Bible and probably yours are in red. And I think it's important to note that because we're looking at the words of Jesus in regards to what it means to have a relationship with Him. And it's important to note that this is right out of the mouth of Jesus and recorded for us because. There are so many different opinions that are not valid of what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Jesus. And so we have here, plain and simple, it could not be described uh, in any more of a clear way. And so as we're confronted with this scripture, we have to ask ourself a question is how does one truly come into a relationship with god and then how does that one live their life on this earth as a believer in jesus christ this is what jesus is spelling out for the disciples And ultimately for us, the disciples had been following Him. They had been learning of Him. And they got to the point where they were doing the things that He had called them to do as they went out on their first missionary tour. And then the question was posed, Who do you say that I am? And the revelation that was given to Peter, that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That identification was an identification nothing less than identifying Jesus as God in the flesh, and identifying Jesus as the eternal creator of everything, the great I am, who's always existed, who brought everything into existence and sustains all existence so what does one do with that jesus follows that proclamation with the text that's in front of us this morning as we identify who jesus is then there come, comes to us a responsibility what do we do with that information And that's why Jesus follows up that answer to the question with this particular text that we're looking at. Christians are those who have been changed forever. Christians are not those who follow a code outside of them, traditions outside of them, religion outside of them, rules outside of them. Being a Christian means that you've been transformed on the inside, that you're different, that you're a new creation in Christ. And because of that, your relationship to God has changed. You are now a child of God. Before We become children of God. We are enemies of God. We we are not on good terms with God until we come to faith in Jesus Christ. That relationship that we have with God that's based on what God has done for us then changes not only our relationship with God, but then it changes our relationship with the world. That means that the world is not our home. That means that we are pilgrims, the Bible describes Christians as, that we are sojourners, that we are those who live here, but this is not our home. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been called out of the world as citizens of heaven to be ambassadors in this world, our Relationship not only changes with God, it not only changes with the world, it changes with sin. Where we've been freed from sin, we're no longer slaves to sin. And our relationship then because of that is one where we live for God. We live for God in a God-forsaken World, a world system that is anti-God, that is anti-Christ. And as we live in this world, we've been called to live for God in this world, and that is not an easy task. And only by the empowering of God in our life are we able to do that correctly. And so the Bible lays out for us what that looks like there's a way, that word a way. Jesus, we are told, is the way. In John 14, 6, we are told that He's an exclusive way. He's just one true way. There is not multiple ways. There's just one way, one true way. And that's why John 14:6 says, That Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. This is very exclusive. This way of God in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, we're told that this way is narrow as opposed to a broad way that most people go and take. The way of Jesus is a narrow way, a narrow gate. In fact, that narrow way is so narrow that we would not be able to fit anything else except for ourselves through that narrow gate. We can't bring any of our own things with us can't bring any of our works or our religion with us. We can only bring ourselves that our names have been written in the Lamb's book of life. can only bring in the self that has been changed to righteous because we've exchanged our unrighteousness for Christ's righteousness. That narrow way then is through Jesus. It is the one and only way, and it is the way that everyone will have to decide if that is the way that they will take. There's a lot of different untrue ways, the Bible tells us, but there's only one true way. This understanding of the way means that it's not up to us then as believers to determine how we want to live. Because as believers, we've been set on the narrow way. And the narrow way then is described by Jesus as the way that we are to have a relationship with Him and the way we are to live with Him. That all through the Bible, we experience and see Mankind doing things his own way or her own way, desiring to have their own way. We have scriptures in the Bible like Isaiah 55, 8, which says, God's saying this, My thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Understanding that God does have a way. And as believers who have entered through the narrow gate of Jesus Christ by faith, having been redeemed and changed by the blood of Jesus, and now He spells out for us the path that He has for us, how we're to live. This understanding of of, of a Christian now that we've been changed and redeemed, and now we have a way that we live. And that way that we live is a different way. And that's why the psalmist in Psalm 25, 4 says, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths lead me in your truth teach me for you are the god of my salvation and on you i wait all the day so to understand that god has a way for us to live and that as believers we're not to live by our own feelings and desires and our own understanding knowing that god's ways are higher than our ways, knowing that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, then the psalmist is praying, Lord, show me your ways. Show me how to live. Show me how to be with you all the days of my life. Show me how to walk in this world. Show me how to live in the face of turmoil and confusion and difficulty. Lord, show me how to do that. In Psalm 18.30, it says, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven and He is a shield to all those who trust in Him. Many of us have found out what is said in Proverbs 14.12, that there is a way that seems right to a man, But the end of that way is death. And that's why many people, not all, but many, come to faith in Jesus Christ because they've exhausted their way and found out where it ends. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book written by the wisest man that ever lived on the face of the earth But he wasn't so wise as he set out to live his life in a social experiment to see how hedonism works, to see how living for one's desires works, to see how it would be if you just did whatever you felt like. And if you read that book, the book of Ecclesiastes, it seems very strange Because living apart from God and living for yourself is very strange. The Bible says, as we've quoted, quoted, there's a way that seems right to a man. It may seem right to live according to all our wants and desires, but we will find out that that way is the wrong way. As the prodigal son discovered, laying in a pig pen full of mud and filth, knowing that he could have been with his father in his father's house and having all the riches that came along with that. Jesus here is explaining to us, as he's explaining to his disciples, this understanding of how he wants us to live and how he wants us to walk in fellowship with him. You'll notice in Luke, just above the section that we looked at in verse 18, he, as he asked his disciples who he was, and then on down into verse 20, as Peter says, you are the Christ of God. And then in verse 21, notice with me. He strictly warned and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised on the third day. That statement would have been and was a challenge for the disciples. Like many of us, our thought of being a Christian may have originated with the idea of what can I get out of this? How can my life improve in this world if I'll be a Christian? What would be the the gain? Would I gain more things in the world, more success, and just a, a better, more fulfilling way of life? Would I gain a better family situation? Would I gain more prestige or maybe even some material blessings that would be nice too but as Peter makes that confession Jesus goes on and says that he himself will suffer and die and that's why in verse 23 he says then because he's going along with what he just said he's explaining and getting them to understand that his own personal life that they will watch will be one that will be very shocking to them. It'll be so shocking that it would stumble them. It would be so shocking that they would leave him for a time. This was a gut punch. Because their understanding of the Messiah was such at this point that things in this life would get better when Jesus reigned on earth. But Jesus initially did not come to do that, He came to save sinners. And because of that, it was necessary for Him to suffer, to be rejected to be killed, but you cannot forget that last part, that he would be raised again. And that that is a, a picture of the Christian life. The picture that we are going to get in our text that Jesus explains, it is a picture of being raised something different as that old self dies. And so in verse 23, you'll you'll notice as Jesus is explaining the way, how do you live in this world? How are you going to do it after I die and raise again? And now you're going to be confronted with the same hostility that I was confronted with, as are we, albeit In many cases, not the same as Jesus. But yet, being in this world as a Christian will mean hatred and animosity towards us. And so he tells them, this is what it looks like. If you desire to come after me, there's something that you need to do and I'm explaining he's saying the way that that happens it's interesting that as he says if anyone it shows us that it's it's open to anyone as the invitation goes out to have a relationship with God it goes out to everyone but what follows kind of gives us a better understanding of why everyone doesn't take the invitation. And it's this this word desire. If anyone desires to come after me. So why would someone desire to come after Jesus? That word desire is pretty much What we think of desire, it's a wanting to, an intention, a will that that can be very strong in an individual. And in our human nature as human beings, we are wired to want God. The Bible says eternity is written in our hearts but the Bible also says in Romans chapter 1 that men suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So there's something. So coming after Jesus, a desire to follow Him, it goes against the normal understanding that generally people would have of being a human in this world. The general understanding of being a human in this world is, is, as I'm in this world, how can I use this world to further my happiness and my joy? How can I be satisfied? How can I have this inner peace? These things, those are the the understandings generally of, of what it means to be a human being In this world. And and so as Jesus just, just got done talking about being killed and suffering and being rejected, then you have to ask yourself, why would someone want to follow him? At this point, the disciples they wanted to follow him because they thought they were going to be enriched in this world. They thought Jesus was going to be king of the world, overthrow the Roman Empire put them in high positions of leadership and government. If they could just stay close to Jesus and hang on, He's going to conquer the world and put them in the best possible position that they could be in the world. Even James and John's mom petitioned Jesus. Can my sons sit on your right and left hand? Can my sons be... They're in power. you got to love a petitioning mom advocating for, their, for her sons. That word desire is very particular to me. It caused me to ask myself, what do I really want? And what, why am I really following Jesus? When Jesus says, I'm going to die, I'm going to suffer... I'm going to be rejected. How about you? Follow me now. Why would somebody do that? There has to be something about that that maybe is not right on the surface clear. What would cause someone to possibly have to give up much? Well, he doesn't stop there. We're going to look at that in the second part, because he actually answers that question. So he says, if you want to come after him, if that's your desire, here's what you have to do. You have to deny yourself. Let him deny himself. So coming after Jesus, desiring To do that is one thing, but actually doing it is another thing. Matthew chapter 13 gives us this parable about different soils, which are different conditions of a person's soul or their heart. And in three of the four soils, the seed of truth that will bring forth eternal life do not grow to bear any fruit. Some of those soils immediately pushed back, didn't want to have anything to do with the truth. Another soil responded, sounded good, but then when persecution because of the word of God, or in other words, when one begins to live their life according to the way of God, then There's difficulty, there's persecution, and those people went back to their old life. Another set of people received the Word of God, loved it, rejoiced in it, but then the cares and concerns of the world choked out the Word of God. In other words, the things of the world became more important than the things of God, and they left too. It was only the soil that received God's word, accepted God's way, and if you want to say, signed up to have God's way in their life. And then spiritual fruit came as a result of that. So if we want to come after Jesus, we have to deny ourselves. Is that our understanding of what it means to be? A Christian, he's saying that we can't continue the same way that we've been going in our life if we're going to follow Jesus. It suggests that there's a direction that Jesus is going to, and that's where we get the understanding of the broad road and the narrow gate, is that Jesus is going somewhere. And if we want to go where he's going, there has to be a turning. Because we're not initially going the way Jesus is going. People call that repentance. We call that repentance. And we have to repent because we're not going the same way as Jesus. In order to have a relationship with Jesus, we have to go in the same direction as Jesus is going. And to say that we have a relationship with Jesus when we're not going the same direction of Jesus in 1 John chapter 2, it tells us that if we say we know God and are not walking in the light or paying attention to the way he says to go, he says we're lying. So biblically it's incorrect to say that we're a follower of Jesus if we're not going the same direction that he's going. And in order to go the same direction, we have to deny ourselves. So that tells us our self must be in opposition to God. Our self must be the thing that's getting in the way. And that's something else that's described to us in 1 John chapter 2, where it says all that's in the world, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eye is not of God. And the word of God endures forever, but the things of the world, they won't be forever. So what he's saying here is the self-life, the life that's lived for self is opposed to the life that God has for us. Two different directions, two different things. So we have to do something to change our direction. In Amos 3.3, it says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? So to deny ourselves, we have to agree that Jesus is going the right way. We have to come to a point where we confess that our way is wrong. And the Bible tells us that, but we have to confess and admit that and turn and, and go the same way Jesus is going. And then he adds on to denying ourselves, he says then take up our cross so what does he mean by that as we deny ourselves, as we realize our self is ultimately taking us to hell and as we're on our way we experience these things in life that feel kind of hellish Like, oh, maybe that's not good. Oh, mm, this is not good. We turn to Jesus as we walk in the ways of Jesus. Now he says we have to take up our cross. And that means that then we have to surrender our desires, our will, if you will. We have to surrender our will to God's will. We have an example of that with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Garden of the Oil Press, where he said, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup, which is cup means the judgment that's going to come. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless not my will, but your will be done. So this Turning from the self-life then is also embracing God's will in our life. And so at this point, we have to ask ourselves, is it possible that we're just saying that we're a Christian and literally just doing our own thing? Jesus is telling us that that is wrong. It is not possible to follow Jesus if we're just doing our own thing. That's what Solomon found out in Ecclesiastes. And that's why over and over again, he would say this phrase. You guys know what it is? Something of something. Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities. Empty of empties. All is empty. Empty of empties. Vanity of vanity. And that's what you will find in the world. So take up your cross. How often? It says daily. Why does it say daily? Because this is a lifestyle. This isn't something we did five or ten years ago, and now we decided we're going to live our life on our own and do our own thing. This is the lifestyle of a Christian. The Christian lives in fellowship with God, and in order to do that, we deny our self-life, and embrace the will of God. And he says, as we're doing that, what happens? Now we're following him. Now we're going in the same direction. Now we're understanding what the will of God is. Now the love of God is being perfected in our life. Now the fruit of God is coming from our life. But why do this? It's not wrong to, to ask that question. It's not wrong to say, why would anybody want to do that? He tells us. In verse 24, he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. So as we look at Jesus being the way, The way is denying ourselves and embracing the will and the plan of God. But now he's getting them to understand that we are to direct our life, to use our will, which means our desires, our wants, we're to, to use that. So here's, here's a crazy thing. We have been given a will to choose to exercise it in the way that we want to. That's a big responsibility. But God, in His grace, has given everyone everything they could possibly want and need to be able to take their will and use it and to direct it in the things of God. So that's what we can do. We can direct our life away from ourselves and away from the things of the world, and, and we direct it to the things of God. And there's a whole bigger picture. He tells us why we do that. Because... You want to save your life. That's why we do it. Not for the temporary pleasures that we think we might get from being a Christian in this world. We do it because eternity is written on our heart. Instinctually, we know and understand that there is a God and that He's made us to know Him. We're made in His image. So we may reject that, we may suppress that, we may believe the lies of the enemy that reject that truth that the world gives, but the reality is inside us we we know. And there is a very strong propensity of human beings to want to save their life self-preservation, to hold on to their life. Never you're, hopefully you never were, but if you're ever put in a position where you're challenged to survive, you will find this thing kick in that maybe you didn't even realize you had of trying to save your life. If you've ever been surfing or body surfing you've probably felt like you're going to drown several times and all of a sudden you start to do a lot of things to try to save yourself and you're scratching and clawing for a breath without water and your fight or flight response kicks in your adrenaline is pumping, and you're doing everything you can to preserve yourself. But here we're learning that there is a preservation, spiritually, that is being spoken of here. It's just, we may not quite realize or know how it works, how we can be preserved, and save, because he's when he says life here, he's literally talking about soul. So why would one have a desire to follow Jesus? Especially when he lays out this suffering, rejection, all of these things. Why would one want to do that? And then he's saying because we want to save our soul. Because there's something eternal going on. And when one discovers that Jesus is the way to to save our soul, then wouldn't we follow him no matter what? Wouldn't it be worth following him and changing and directing our life towards him no matter what the earthly cost may be, if it meant eternal benefit? That's what he's saying. That's what he's calling people out on. this is what he wants people to know about what it means to be a Christian, and even Peter in John six, he struggled with understanding the things that Jesus was saying. you You could even say he didn't like what Jesus was saying. I wish you'd just stop saying those things, and in John. Ironically, John six sixty six. masses of people stopped following Jesus. They didn't like what he was saying. They didn't like the truth. They didn't want to deny themselves. They didn't want to direct themselves in the way of God. But Jesus says to consider this. Consider... The bigger picture. Consider the temporary temporary nature of this world. Consider the emptiness of material things to satisfy your soul, to truly satisfy your soul. And so now, if you want, if you want to save your life, now if you want to save your soul, this goes beyond just okay, I desire to follow Jesus because it's cool or my friend's doing it or I got pressured to do it. Now he's saying because it's a matter of your eternal condition. So what would you be willing to endure in this world if it meant your eternal condition would be good? That you would be right with God eternally. What would you be willing to To give up. So again, in verse 24, for whoever wants to save his soul, his life, here's what you'll do you'll lose it. You won't try to save it, you'll lose it. This is a whole different way to understand. And then he says, but I like, I'm thankful for that correction or that addition, but whoever loses his life, not just randomly, right? We can't just live a life of self-denial and think we're saved. Many religions do that, right? Many religions do it outwardly, outward self-denial, beating their flesh with instruments and things like that, or even killing other people who have different views than them. He's saying, if you lose your life for my sake, for me, if you give up the rights to yourself while you're embracing the life that I have for you. That's why he says, for my sake. Then what will happen? You'll save it. That's how it works. If if we embrace God and his will and his plan, that is how we are saved. That is how we are to direct Our life. That is salvation. And then in verse 25, he gives us the ultimate clarity of life in this world. As he says, For what profit is it to a man if he gains? The whole world, which is obviously a metaphor because nobody could do that. Solomon might have been the closest to doing that. Him or Musk. (laughs) Or Gates or whoever's on the top. But it's not even possible. But he's saying if it were possible for someone to have the whole world, and think about the context of what Jesus was saying this in with the Roman Empire. Wasn't that what they wanted to do? And wasn't the emperor of Rome looked at as the god of this world? Which, by the way, is a precursor to the final worldly government. Revive Roman Empire. But what would it be if a man, if you got the whole world. And that's what Jesus was tempted By Satan also about. But then you lost your soul. You know what he's saying? He's saying to consider what your value system is. And what you value the most. What he's saying is, you can't have God if you have the world. That's what he's saying. You can't have both. And then he takes us back in this wide angle lens and he says, If you have me, you have the redemption of your soul and eternity with me. If you don't have me, it might be easier. You might experience some passing pleasure of sin. You might be able to get your way a little bit. But you will lose your soul for eternity. He's saying this, I believe, also in a way in our culture where he is counteracting our Western culture understanding of being a Christian. I'm not saying then he was doing that, but in his sovereign understanding this, is, this flies in the face of a Christianity that is not biblical and a Christianity where the Bible tells us many will embrace that's not a Christianity at all. It's a Christianity that is a Christianity in name only and it's an unwillingness to deny themselves and surrender their will to God. This is not a biblical Christianity. This is not a saving faith. And he says that there will be no profit to you eternally. In verse 26, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words, two things. This Shame of what Jesus says is prevalent in our culture, even amongst Christianity. Many of the so-called famous pastors that are often on talk shows and news shows will deny what Jesus says here. They will fail to tell people that they need to repent and deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. They will not say that. Why they will lose their following. Their churches are built on a pseudo gospel, a fake gospel that will not save people but will damn people to hell forever. This is not a game. And Jesus says, If you're ashamed of me now, if you're ashamed of the way that's exclusive, that's narrow, if you're ashamed of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for our sins, that all who would believe in that and that alone would not perish but have eternal life. He says if that's the case, he says of that person, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his own glory. In other words, there's going to be a time of reckoning for everybody. Now's the time to decide this, our future. Now's the time to decide our moment that we will be before Jesus in a way of judgment. Now is that time, not then. Now is that time. Because when he comes in his own glory and in his father's glory, And the holy angels are there. In other words, there will be no excuse. Now is the time. Now is the time. And now is the time to be willing. As Peter said, Jesus, I can't leave you, even though what you're saying is hard, because you have the words of eternal life. Because it's the truth. And then in verse 27, which actually leads into what we're going to talk about, Next week, but I tell you truly, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. So, straight out of the mouth of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life in this world, the world that's not our home, we will struggle, we will suffer. We will experience hardship. But whatever we go through, the Lord is our shield. He is our strength. He is our hope. And I love, and I'm going to finish with this poem by Amy Carmichael, a missionary who gave her life for children in India who understood what we are talking about here And had this prayer, from prayer that asks that I may be sheltered from the winds that beat on thee, from fearing when I should aspire, from faltering when I should climb higher, from silken self, O captain free thy soldier who would follow thee from subtle love of softening things from easy choices weakenings not thus are spirits fortified nor not this way went the crucified from all that dims thy calvary o lamb of god deliver me Give me the love that leads the way, the faith that nothing can dismay, the hope no disappointments tire, the passion that will burn like fire. Let me not sink to be a clod. Make me thy fuel, O flame of God. Let's pray. Father, as we read your word this morning, we are mindful that these are words of eternal nature, that your holy Bible is the truth that sets people free. I pray, Lord, by the power of your spirit now that you would quicken these words to each of our hearts. I pray that each of us would be honest before you now and receive your invitation to follow you. I pray, Lord, that we would truly be in relationship with you. I do pray if anybody here is not sure if they were to die today, where they would be. I pray that they would settle that now before it's too late don't wait the Bible says that all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death eternal separation from God but God demonstrated his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, that whoever would believe in their heart and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and rose again from the dead, that they would be saved. And so if you're here or if you're listening, this is the invitation to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. To cry out to Him and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come into my life. Make me new. And for those of us who are Christians, truly Christians, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen our resolve by the power of your Holy Spirit to follow you with everything that we have for your glory. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand. We're going to worship the Lord as we finish up here this morning. If anybody would like prayer about anything, we're going to have our prayer team up front. Feel free to come forward. They would be happy and excited to pray for you. So God bless you guys and let's worship the Lord.